Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Over 2,500 years ago, Daniel opened up the Word of God. He studied it line upon line. He studied it with the simple belief that God's Word was intended to be understood. Today, we do the same. Bibles open to one of the longest recorded prayers in the Word of God. Daniel 9 is before us, and we pick up our text halfway through this great prayer. Daniel 9, we begin again with verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord, our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. During the Second Great Awakening, one of the most influential evangelists was Charles Finney. This is a name that stands out to most Christians, but unfortunately most do not know the name Daniel Nash. I think they should, and here is why. Nash was a pastor in Upper New York State. At the age of 48, 
He dedicated his life to prayer. This is what they did. Long before Charles Finney would come to town for an evangelistic campaign, Nash would go there. He'd find an empty room or a boarding house with a room and pray for the work of God. On one occasion, when Charles Finney got to town, the woman who ran the local boarding house came to him and asked if he knew Nash because, quote, he and two other men have been at my boarding house for the last three days, but they had not eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peeped in at them. I saw them down on their faces. They've been this way for three days. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in, and I didn't know what to do. She then asked Finney if he would go in and check on them, but he told her there was simply no need because he knew that these men were in prayer. To give you an idea of just how important the ministry of these men of prayer was to the great evangelist Charles Finney, within four months of Nash's death, Finney left his evangelistic efforts because the great prayer warrior of his crusades was gone. And if you want to see the grave of Daniel Nash, you have to drive to upper New York, almost to the Canadian border. There, in a neglected cemetery, Along an old dirt road, you will find a tombstone that says it all. Daniel Nash, labor with Finney. And then it simply says the words, mighty in prayer. His grave marker is behind a livestock auction barn. The church he once pastored no longer exists. The building is gone. Its location has a historical marker in the middle of a cornfield. Books were not written telling his life story. No diaries, no pictures can be found. No descendants of Daniel Nash can be located. His sermons are long forgotten. He wrote no books, started no schools, led no movements. But there, on a neglected tombstone, are some of the most important words that can be written about a man, mighty in prayer. Not a bad testimony to leave behind. If you are with us for our last study, then you already know that Mighty in Prayer is an apt description of Daniel. We have already seen that Daniel was studying the 70 years in the book of Jeremiah. He began to pray about the matter. He confessed the sins of the nation. He confessed that Israel had broken God's law. The people had not kept the commandments of God. Their shame was well known. But God was not done with the nation of Israel. Notice again the contrast in verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Daniel already proclaimed the righteousness of God in verse 7. Now Daniel spoke of God's mercy. Daniel spoke of God's forgiveness. This is the message of the Bible. It is not about earning favor with God. It is not just about good works. It is about relying on the grace of God because since Adam, we all share the same problem, sin. And were it not for the grace of God, mankind would never be reconciled to God. It is not our righteousness that cleanses us. It is the righteousness of God that can only come by faith. And this is what Daniel was saying. To God belongs mercy and forgiveness. But Israel, they didn't walk with God. They didn't listen to the prophets. It is the pride of man that fails to appreciate God's grace. 
But that is exactly what Israel did. They mocked, rejected, and ridiculed the pardon offered by God. Yes, Israel was facing the judgment of God. Yes, the southern tribes had been hauled off to Babylon, but that did not mean that God did not love them. There are certain things that God cannot do. God cannot change who he is. And a part of who he is is righteous. He is holy, which means he must judge sin. But the chastening of God is not a sign of rejection. It is a sign of love to a people who refuse to obey. I find that the end of verse 10 speaks to the very heart of the problem today because the sin of the people was that they did not walk according to the standards of God's word. And if you want to walk according to his word, you have to know it. You need the desire to know God intimately, to know his word. If you find yourself without this passion in your life, seek God, seek for the renewal of the heart, because without it, without the humble and honest desire to walk with God, everything else is just dead works. For Israel, the people as a whole, they did not listen to the prophets of God, and they did not obey the commandments given to Moses, which is the subject of verse 11. Take a look. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. There is a change here, a significant change. Daniel went from speaking in second person in verses 9 and 10. We have rebelled. We have not obeyed. But in verse 11, he shifts to speaking in third person, talking about Israel. All 12 tribes of Israel stood guilty before God. But I don't want you to miss the importance of the teaching here in verse 11. There are two passages in the Mosaic law that come into play, Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. Turn first to Leviticus 26. Both passages list the blessings that would come for the nation of Israel if they followed the commands of God. And both passages list the chastisement and the discipline of the Lord that would come if they did not walk with him. Leviticus 26, starting in verse 32. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Take a look at verse 34. Here is this Sabbath rest of the land that we were talking about in our last study. And actually, this is going to factor in in our next study of Daniel, so don't miss the teaching. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwell in it. Flip over to Deuteronomy 28, and this time we're going to pick it up with verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Take a look at verse 15. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Then skip down to verse 25. 
The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Move down in the text one more time. This time pick it up with verse 63. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. Be careful as you look at these texts. Understand how they fit into the broader picture of the Old Testament. There are conditional covenants and unconditional covenants in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. This is something that God is going to do no matter what. It is unconditional. God will fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. And this is just yet another reason we know that God is not done with the nation of Israel. But the Mosaic Covenant, which is what we have before us in Deuteronomy, this was a conditional covenant. It was not about salvation, but it was about a conditional covenant between God and the Hebrew people. If they obeyed, they were blessed. If they disobeyed, bad things would happen. Conditional covenants, if statements. But listen, don't walk away from this thinking that the Mosaic Covenant only was centered on the physical blessings that would come if the people obeyed God. Because the most important part, the part that God wanted, was for the people to walk with Him. The part that God wanted was for the people to rest in Him, to enjoy that intimate fellowship with Him. The rules were meant to guide the people, but what God was really after was their hearts. Legalism always makes a focus on rules on what we should do. Faith makes our focus on trust. Faith makes our focus on knowing God and walking with Him. Recognize this principle. So what we have back in Daniel chapter 9 with verse 11, Daniel was agreeing with God. This is precisely what the nation of Israel did. They embraced sin and the Lord kept His word. Notice the wording that the oath and curse have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Daniel knew that as a people, they had taken advantage of the mercy and grace of God, the same sin that is prominent in the church today. The most devastating consequence of their sin would be that God would remove the Hebrew people from the land, which he did with Assyria and Babylon. Most of the people had either been killed or taken captive to foreign lands. But here is the great irony of this text. One of the great sins that the Hebrew people wrestled with was idolatry. And when God did give the people over to Babylon, he was also giving them over to idolatry. Babylon was the capital of idolatry in that day. Same principle 
as Romans 1. Eventually, God gives men and women over to their sin. Allowing people to follow their path of sin is one of the ways that God chastens and judges those who refuse to live in the righteousness of God by faith. God did exactly what he told Moses and the people he would do. And this is what Daniel tells us next, verse 12. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. Moses had made it clear that the situation for Israel would be desperate if the people disobeyed the Lord. And now it was. But isn't this usually the case when we take our own path, we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. Every night before bed, we take turns in our family reading a story with doodles. That's our three-year-old. And we pray, and then she prays. And some of the words that come out of her are just precious. But I know that I am not alone in this experience. Take, for example, the story of a father who was walking past his five-year-old daughter's room one night, and the father was proud because he noticed that his daughter was on her knees praying as he sat and listened. Then he heard his daughter just recite the alphabet. And then she did it again. And again, when she was all done, he asked her what it meant, why she was praying the alphabet. Her answer, God is really smart. And when I don't know what to pray about, I just say the alphabet and he figures it out for me. Then there's the young boy who was praying in church before the service began. The pastor noticed it. And he was surprised about how passionate this kid was. But then the pastor just kept hearing the kid praying over and over, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. So the pastor told the young boy, I'm glad to see you praying, but I'm not sure why you keep saying Tokyo. The young boy responded by saying, sir, I just finished my geography test in school and I have been praying for the Lord to make Tokyo the capital of France. Even better is the little girl that was being punished and she was being made to eat alone in the corner of the dining room, and the family didn't pay any attention to her until they heard her pray, Lord, I thank thee for preparing a table before me (laughs) in the presence of my enemies. At the core of the discussion in Daniel 9 is the purpose of prayer. Listen, prayer works when it gives us a greater sense of the majesty and glory of God. Prayer works when it leads us to confess our sins before God. Prayer works when it arouses in us an awesome sense of the forgiving grace of God. Prayer works when it helps us to be thankful for the gift of life. Prayer works when it leads us to pray for others. Prayer works when it moves us to action on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And prayer works when it is centered not just on asking, but when it leads to our giving. This is the pattern we see in Daniel, still worshiping God, still confessing sin on behalf of his brothers and sisters in the faith. In verse 12, Daniel recognized that God had simply done exactly what he said he would do. Don't miss the lesson here at work. 
Daniel did not bemoan the judgment of God upon his people. He confessed just the opposite. God had been just with his people. God had been righteous. God upheld his word. God warned them, and then God brought judgment. He kept his word, and he judged all of Israel, from the leaders to the common person. And what they experienced was a tragedy. It was a disgrace, a poor testimony to the nations. And after Moses died, God continued to warn the nation. Isaiah, Amos, Hosea had his heart broken. Habakkuk, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah wept over the sins of the nation. The people were deaf to the warnings of the prophets. But Daniel makes another profound statement. Pick up our next two verses with verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. The people were complacent in their sin. Same thing happens today. Recognize that many of the Hebrew people in Babylon had begun to worship the idols of Babylon and Persia. The power of sin lives on in the sin nature. The next generation was living in Babylon. They liked it there. They didn't turn from their sins as a nation. They still haven't, and they won't until the Lord ushers in his kingdom. And the Lord circumcises their hearts when the new covenant is fulfilled. At the start of verse 14, where Daniel wrote that the Lord kept the disaster in mind, the idea here is that God had been watching over his judgment of his people, meaning God had this curse sitting on deck. The hammer was ready to fall, but the grace of God and the timing of God held it back. But here is the profound statement I mentioned before. Here we see the integrity, the character, and the faith of the prophet Daniel. Speaking of what they had suffered, he prayed, For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. Can you make this kind of statement with this level of trust? Here was a man who had been in captivity and forced to serve another nation for his entire adult life. And yet he proclaims in prayer that God is righteous for carrying out his judgment upon the nation. No complaints from Daniel. Instead, this man of God testified over and over that God was righteous for his judgment. Daniel didn't base his view of God on his outward circumstances, and he didn't base his understanding of God on his own opinions of what he thought was right or wrong. Daniel wasn't running on emotions. That's easy to do, especially when you're in a jam, when you're in a tough situation. Daniel didn't blame God. Decade after decade went by, thrown into a lion's den, but still praising God, still looking to the Word of God, and still walking by faith. We tend to want to save our own skin. Daniel considered it more important for God to uphold his word than it was for God's people to escape the consequences of their sin. Think about it this way. If God never judged sin, mercy and grace wouldn't mean anything. 
God dwelt among them. God gave them his perfect truth. But if the tribes of Israel could reject God and never face the chastening of God, what reason would any nation have for staying faithful to God? The fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, God's people taken away from their land, it stood as a living testimony to the holiness of God and stood as a warning to every nation of this world. Notice what Daniel does next. There's a lot to learn here about prayer. Verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. He was still praising God. But think of his approach. He based his request to God on an example from the word of God. Even his request was based on the principles of God's word. Make a name for yourself, God. Daniel appealed to the example of the Lord, bringing the Hebrew people out of Egypt. This is something that even the lost people still talk about thousands of years later. Daniel was asking God to do it again, make a name for himself by showing the people of the world the power of God to deliver his people. When we pray, it's not a wish list. It's surrendering to the will of God. If I were out in the water on a boat and I threw a rope with a small anchor to shore and it wrapped around a big old tree and then I started pulling, did I pull the shore to me or did I pull myself to shore? You see, that's the lesson. Prayer is not pulling God to my will. Prayer is aligning or pulling my will to the will of God. Daniel prayed for something that would bring glory and honor to God. This isn't one of these prayers where we list out everything we want or need. This was a prayer that honored God. Even though the people had sinned, God could show his power, his mercy, and grace. In verse 16, Daniel appeals to the righteousness of God. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. He was still basing his request on God's righteousness, which the people of Israel had seen before. In order for God's wrath to be turned away, it would mean that God was satisfied that his justice had been accomplished by the punishment that they'd already experienced. Now, you would expect for Daniel to request that God would let all the people go home or that God's anger be turned away from the people. But instead, Daniel requests that God's anger be turned away from Jerusalem. And there's a reason. Jerusalem was where the temple had stood. And Jerusalem was supposed to be the center of all the worship of God. And to be quite honest, this is probably where the most amount of sin and open rebellion towards God had taken place. That's why Daniel refers to Jerusalem. And again, he says, your holy mountain, a reference to Mount Moriah, where the temple had stood on the temple mount. The temple at Jerusalem should have been a light to the nations of the world, but now it was nothing but rubble. Daniel's words were careful. He did not blame God. Notice the wording. 
because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. The reproach which he now mentions at the end of the verse was because of their sin, once again, expressing to God that he understands that God's judgment was necessary. The last part of verse 16, Daniel wrote, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. In that day, since the Babylonian army had defeated the southern tribes, it meant to the average person that the Babylonian gods were stronger than the God of the Jews. With the temple destroyed, Jerusalem in ruins, and the people in captivity, it made the people of the world no longer fear or respect the Hebrew God. It brought dishonor to his name. Take another look at our last three verses, starting with verse 17. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. I get the picture here that Daniel's heart was breaking. And Daniel restates his request from verse 16. But the key phrase in verse 17 is where Daniel says, for the Lord's sake. God allowing the people to return and rebuild the temple would be for his sake. So the people could once again worship him in his temple. And it would once again demonstrate to the world that the God of the Jews is able to deliver his people. Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary which is desolate. Daniel was asking God's favor towards his holy place. And in verse 18, he asked God to see the desolation of his city. He asked God to see the condition of the people in Babylon. Notice again the humility. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Hear the prayer, Lord, forgive Daniel cried, don't delay. He prayed with urgency because the testimony of his people and his city were at stake. And because he knew from Jeremiah that the 70 years of captivity were coming to an end. Daniel wanted God to be glorified once again before the nations. And I think what we have in this text is a prayer that must have struck the very heart of God to hear his faithful servant turn to him. This is the type of prayer that honors God. I'm reminded of an event that took place in the life of the great explorer, Henry Stanley. Now understand that Stanley was not a missionary. He was a reporter. But the owner of the newspaper, the New York Herald, sent him to the heart of Africa to see if he could find the great missionary, David Livingstone. They wanted to sell papers. This was the 1800s, and they figured if they could find Livingstone, capture some of his stories, and report back, it would sell newspapers. So Stanley signed on, not for the sake of the gospel, but for adventure and the prestige that would come if he could pull it off. He had a tough time. Death was a constant enemy, 
And when Stanley finally found Livingstone, he also came to find eternal life in Christ. Now, after Livingstone died, Stanley continued to return to Africa, but this time to help open the door for the gospel of Christ. Listen to what happened next. Stanley was telling an African chief about Christ, and the chief started to cry. He wanted to know more, and that night Stanley decided to write a letter, prayerfully asking for missionaries to come to Africa. There was no telegraph, no mail, no trains. Stanley had a Frenchman that was with him that was homesick, and so he gave the letter to him to take to England. The young man took the dangerous trip down the Nile River, and the natives caught him and killed him. They took his stuff, and then they left his body to rot. And it did on the hot, dry sand. Months passed, and the letter from Stanley pleading for missionaries seemed lost. One day, English soldiers happened upon the body. His boots were still close to his bones. They found the letter written by Stanley and sent it to the governor of Egypt. He forwarded the letter to England. And seven months from the day it was written, it was printed in the Daily Telegraph in London. Here was a part of the message that was printed. The king of Uganda has been asking me about the white man's God. Although I had not expected turning missionary, for days I've been telling this king all the Bible stories I know. And then he wrote, But oh, that some pious, practical missionary would come here. What a field and a harvest ripe for the sickle of the gospel. The day the article ran in the paper, seven young Christian men responded and went on to Uganda as missionaries. Eventually, hundreds would, and one of the first seven young men to respond was Alexander McKay, the famous missionary who would go on to help lead thousands to Jesus Christ. It takes faith to step out and serve God, It takes faith to pray like Daniel, faith to know that God is too wise to make any mistakes, too loving to be unkind, and too powerful to be thwarted. It takes trust to know that if something has overtaken us, God has allowed it. And if anything is to be done about it, the answer lies with God himself. And so when you pray, try to remember the love of God that wants what is best for us. Remember the wisdom of God, that he knows what is best for us. And remember the power of God, that he is more than able to accomplish his will in his time. In the words of Jude 25, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. We often get asked for more information on the end times. The good news is that we wrote a book titled What Lies Ahead, which is an overview from the Bible of the end times. You can find it on Amazon, and you can find all the different formats it is offered in on our website, returntotheword.com. That book again is What Lies Ahead. If you've read it, leave us a review on Amazon. It helps us to tell others about this wonderful resource for studying about God's plan for the end times. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time 
on Return to the Word. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.